Well, good morning, everybody. We've been trying to kind of put different staff up there and help you get to know some staff a little better since we hear from people all the time. The only person we know is you, and trust me, you don't have a good Kingsway experience if I'm the only guy you know. So I'm going to ask you a question. We have a slide. Don't put the slide up yet because there's two parts to this question. Part one is going to take interaction. So you're going to need to buddy up, partner up with your spouse, the person sitting next to you. If you're by yourself, it's a good time to turn around, get to know somebody, say, hey, I'm Joe Schmo. That's not my real name. I'm telling you my real name. And uh, here's my answer to the question. Since this is a slightly vulnerable question, if it's the person you don't know, you could just tell them the non-real answer. <laughs> All right, here's the question. You ready? If you could ask the Lord for anything, what would you ask him for? I'll give you about 30 seconds. Ready? Go. I'm hearing some laughter. It was a husband who went, ha, 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 ha. Nice try, honey. I'm just kidding. We are not having five. <laughs> All right. Did you give them a chance to answer? Now, let me just add this one little caveat, and you go ahead and put the slide up. What if you were guaranteed that God was going to give it to you? Would it change your answer at all? Think about it for a minute. If you were going into this and you knew, like there wasn't any doubt, there wasn't any question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this prayer, I'm going to make this ask, and at the end of it, God's going to say yes. Would you rethink your answer? This actually happened, did you know that? There's this moment where a guy named Solomon, some of you have heard of Solomon, he was David's son, and he's just been handed the keys to the kingdom, literally leading all of Israel, and he's a little bit freaked out. If you don't know Solomon's story, man, he's got a background like many of you. Solomon's mom is Bathsheba. If you don't know that story, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. They get pregnant, except Bathsheba is not his wife. That's why it's adultery. And he has her husband killed. So he marries her to try to cover up his sin, and the baby dies as part of God's punishment to David and Bathsheba. But later, God blesses him with a new baby, and his name is Solomon. And now, fast forward many decades, Solomon has now been handed the keys to the kingdom, and David is dead. And, da and Solomon comes to God in a prayer. And here is the beginning of the conversation. First Kings Chapter 3, verse 5, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. I don't know about you, but okay, so if, if I'm allowed to ask whatever I want and it's not God, my answer might be different than if I'm allowed to ask whatever I want and it is God. Studies have been done, random studies have been done that show the underbelly of the human condition. Anybody who argues that people are just good, they aren't really being honest. Let's be honest, none of us are good. None of us are good. Random studies have been done going on for decades now where they just kind of say, hey, if you could get away with whatever you want and not get caught, what would you do? And it is amazing how many people will come back and say things like, I would totally steal, blah, 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 blah. I would totally blah, 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 blah. I would rip so-and-so off. I would cheat on my taxes. I would commit murder. I would commit adultery. Recently, a study was done on college campuses, and one-third of all the men on college campuses actually went as far as to say they would rape a woman. Wow. Now, I say that, that's not you. All of your requests from God would be completely pure and innocent. But let's be honest for a minute. It wouldn't be tempting. I mean, if God came to you carte blanche, here, figure it out. What do you want? Now, here's what we find. If we actually get what we want, what we want gets us. You know what I'm saying? 
If you don't, stick around for the series. I'll make it a little clearer. I actually, this week, while I was preparing for this message, came across two different what we would call famous people, and uh, they both have similar stories. This is the same story going on. You go read the quotes of famous people, they often say the same kinds of things. But these two people, want, I probably have to set them both up because different crowds in the room aren't going to know one or the other for some reason or another. The first one, his name is Chandler Bing. I mean, Matthew Perry. <laughs> Nobody knows him as Matthew Perry, let's be honest. And I, uh, I was actually looking up something else about Matthew Perry's new show. I was like, you know, just curious about his life because I had nothing else to do at the moment. And anyway, so I was looking it up, and here's what I found, some fascinating quotes by Matthew Perry. For those of you who don't know, Matthew Perry played a character named Chandler Bing on this little-known TV show called Friends, which just had their 20th anniversary. And uh, this was a really big deal for them. And when they decided to stop the show, maybe it's been 20 years since the show went up. No, it's only been 11 years. Anyway, 20 years since the show began. So they, uh, when they just hit this anniversary, it's a big deal for everybody. Like, hey, going all the way back. And, and Matthew was focusing, kind of reflecting back on his life. These are coming from, I believe, two different articles. I copied and pasted them because they got to the point of what I want to get to. Here's what Matthew Perry says. Fame just didn't do exactly what I thought it would do. He goes on to say, at first I loved being famous. When I was 15 years old, Michael J. Fox had the number one movie and the number one television show at the same time. By the way, you just dated yourself if you know who Michael J. Fox is. And I was in Canada in ninth grade, and steam was coming out of my ears. I was so jealous of that. Not knowing anything about fame or what it would do, I just wanted it really badly. So when I got it, I was very excited. I would literally go to the Beverly Center just to get recognized. And then I realized it didn't quite do what I thought it would do. It didn't fix everything. And it just became sort of this weird thing. He goes on, I believe in a different article, and he says, I've had a life of extreme highs and extreme lows. I was in the white hot flame of fame. From an outsider's perspective, it would seem like I had it all. It was actually a very lonely time for me because I was suffering from alcoholism. Lonely is going to be a common phrase. You're going to hear from people who get it all. Here's another one, and again, some of you are going to have no idea who this guy is, but you might know what he's done. His name is Marcus Person. Just curious, how many people in the room know who Marcus Person is? Okay, five of you, good. All right. Marcus Person is the founder of Minecraft. If you don't know anything about Minecraft, Minecraft is that online gaming system that has become wildly popular, so much so that he just sold it for $2.5 billion to Microsoft. And they didn't bring him along with the company. So he went from kind of cult little fame, probably making good money, to what, what I heard one comedian call stupid money or giraffe money. He was talking about Michael Jackson. He said, you know you got giraffe money when you don't even know what to do with your money, so you just go buy a bunch of giraffes. He went from <laughs> rich to giraffe money overnight. In fact, he just beat out Jay-Z and Beyonce for a $70 million home that was actually listed originally at 85, so he got a good deal, in, in Malibu. <laughs> You got 2.5 million, billion. What else are you going to do? So here's the thing. So over the last, I think it was the last week, might have been the last couple of weeks, he put out a series of tweets. I realize some of the room don't know what a tweet is. If you own a Twitter account, you put out these little statements. I believe you get 144 characters. I don't, I don't remember. I always get it mixed up. Who gets what? But anyway, it's called a tweet. And here are a series of his tweets. Ready? I found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and she went with a normal person instead. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure that the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. 
The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Hmm. So let me just ask you this question real quick, last time. If you could get whatever you wanted and, and God was guaranteed to give it to you, no consequences, what would you ask for? I added that little no consequences. It changes things, doesn't it? Because the reality is most of us have known or experienced or read or heard about or maybe in the back of our head wonder, if I really get what I want, is it really going to do anything for me? And some of you have actually lived it. You've gotten what you wanted and it didn't do it for you. And by the way, this happens not just on grand scales like $2.5 billion because everybody goes, okay, $2.5 billion is just too much. I don't need $2.5 billion. I just need another 100000 But just put it into a smaller scale for a minute. You ever get done eating a meal, and as soon as you got done, you thought, man, I need dessert. And you may say, well, that's, that's a dumb illustration. I just like dessert. Maybe. Even though it's killing you, maybe. Have you ever got an iPhone, and six months later, they came out with a new one, and you thought to yourself, I just really got to have that new one. If I'd have known, I would have waited, because I need the new one. You ever get a TV, get it home, think to yourself, man, I wish this TV had done blah, blah, blah. You ever get an Xbox and go, man, I sure wish that they had had this that the PlayStation has. Do you ever get a car and think to yourself, man, I just wish this car could fill in the blank? Do you ever get a spouse? Okay, never mind, we'll keep going. <laughs> Here's the reality. If you get what you want, often what you want will get you. And there's a reason why. And we'll talk about this throughout the series, but the reality is the human heart, the human heart was created by God to worship. And if you don't worship God with the human heart, then you'll worship what we call much smaller gods, lesser gods, little g gods. And when you worship those things, they will tell you how to live just like God would. But you start obeying those lesser g gods and they don't have your best interests in mind. And they'll ruin you. Here's what happened to this famous guy, Solomon. Picking up now again in 1 Kings 3, verse 7. 1 Kings 3, 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great, numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom and governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth, or the death of your enemies, some of you need to rethink your ask, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. Now here's the thing, my first point for you to get today is simply this, it requires wisdom to lead. It doesn't matter if we're talking about leading as a husband or a wife in your family or as a mother or a father. It doesn't matter if it's, you're like you lead the division at work or you're a shift manager. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher in a classroom, an administrator in a school, a doctor in an office, a nurse in the doctor's office. It doesn't matter if you're even stocking shelves at Kroger. Whatever it is you do, it takes wisdom to lead and to lead well. And the reality is we live in the wealthiest nation the world has ever known and we desperately Desperately, desperately, desperately need wisdom to lead well, to know what to do with all that God has given us. But wisdom alone isn't always enough. Because wisdom, in order for it to be wisdom, requires action. 
And in order for wisdom and action to take part together, there must be something called faith that's combined into this process. And if you have anything other than wisdom and action and faith, you have a broken process. This actually happened to Solomon. So the way Solomon basically unfolded his life is he becomes wise, he becomes the king of Israel, he makes a series of decisions. In fact, one of his first decisions is to marry Egypt, the Pharaoh's daughter. He creates an alliance to the south of Israel. And we can argue all day long, and Bible scholars do, and I don't exactly know, and nobody really does for sure, whether this specific marriage turned his heart or not. What we do know is all the other women in his life turned Solomon's heart. In fact, Solomon literally ended up with at least a thousand women in his life. Now, I don't always get it messed up whether it was 700 wives and 300 concubine or 300 wives and 700 concubine, whatever it was, it was 999 too many. But Solomon's heart, we learn later in the Bible, by the end of his life, he actually is building temples to false gods. He turned his heart away because he got what he wanted. In fact, he, he wrote a book chronicling his experience. You can read it if you're curious later. Ecclesiastes, the entire book is about this. And here's what happened. His little social experiment went like this. I'm going to allow myself, this is Solomon, allow myself to do whatever I want, and I'm going to keep my wits about me. So I'm going to drink as much as I want to drink, but I'm going to keep my wisdom that God has given me about me. I'm going to have as many women as I can have, but keep my wisdom about me. I'm going to accumulate wealth and, and, and get it in mass, but I'm going to keep my wisdom about me. I'm going to build and develop as much as I can, but I'm going to keep my wisdom about me. And on and on and on it goes. And so we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we find something. Though Solomon is the wisest man apart from Jesus ever to walk the face of the planet, he is absolutely depressed and miserable historians write about the wealth of Solomon, how he had accumulated so much power and wealth for a nation at that time, and yet he is miserable. This guy is classically depressed. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, and he just keeps saying things like, oh, meaningless, everything is worthless, everything's like chasing the wind, there's no benefit, there's no point to anything. I've had it all, I've experienced it all, I've done it all. You might as well just eat, drink, and die because life is worthless. That's a bad day for that dude. He's got everything anybody ever could chase after. But they all lead to nothing. Because the human heart was built for worship, but not worship of things of this earth. Here's some uh, thoughts from Ecclesiastes from Solomon, this wise guy. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, the teacher of Solomon. Completely meaningless. <laughs> There's no point to any of it. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets. Then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the waters return again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied no matter how much we hear we are not content okay i gotta stop for a second is that the cicadas outside do you hear that is that what that is that's awesome it's probably like the motor in the baptistry but it's still awesome if it's cicadas anyway all right moving on <laughs> Everything is meaningless. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. You could fill in the blanks, taste, t 
touch, experience. And here's what I believe about Solomon. I believe Solomon got afraid. He kept his wisdom about him, but he experienced everything that the world had to give him. But then when he experienced it, it left him wanting, and he started to freak out a little bit. Like, what's the meaning of life? That's the book of Ecclesiastes. What is the reason? Why am I here? Why am I toiling so hard under the sun? He even goes on at one point. He says, one day I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave all of what I've built to the next generation, and they're not even going to care. And he starts to freak out because all of a sudden he begins to realize how insignificant his life was in the grand scheme of things. Except for, you know what, his life isn't really insignificant if, if he's focused on God. But he wasn't focused on God. He was focused on his fears. He was focused on his anxieties. He was focused on meaning something. He was focused on experiencing something. He was focused on accomplishing something. But all of those things left him wanting. And let's just be honest for a second. You know the story in your own life. You climbed that ladder, you got that promotion, you made more money, you bought the new thing, whatever it was, and you got there and you went, wow, this didn't do what I thought it would do. And you weren't honest enough with yourself, your spouse, and God, because that would be swallowing your pride. You weren't honest enough to admit that it failed you, so what you did is you worked harder to get to the next one. This is why this issue takes humility. And it's a slow fade, a slow walk away from God, where we find ourselves going down a path that leads to our destruction rather than life. And I don't want that from you. So what do we do? We confront the fears that are running our hearts. We just stop for a minute. We slow down. Even if just in a quiet moment between you and God, we start there. And we just say, you know what, God? There are fears that are running my heart. There are fears that are ruling me and owning me. I am so driven by not measuring up. I'm so driven by not having enough. I'm so driven by not experiencing something that everyone else seems to be experiencing. And so, God, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lie. I'm going to steal. I'm going to deceive. I'm going to push, 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 push. Until I break or my family breaks or my kids break. And that's why some of you are here today. And you know exactly what I'm saying feels like because you're carrying this weight and you are at that break point. And the answer for you is found in the word of God. But it's going to take stop going the direction you're going and turn toward him. I said this uh, at our series right after Easter. If you weren't here, man, it's just a great series. I'm not saying that because I appreciate it. it was just, I needed that series. It was good for me. But I said this, we worship whatever we fear. We worship whatever we fear. And the reason is, is because whatever it is you're chasing after trying not to lose, you'll work harder to get it. I love this quote from the book. Jamie Munson, this book, we're giving out one per family, one per household. You want to pick one of these up. If you're single, there's one for you. If you're married, just get one for the both of you. Grab this. But he says this in the book. Everybody is afraid. Afraid of suffering, loss, rejection, failure, embarrassment. Because everybody cares about something, even if it's just themselves. And so we pour out our resources, our energy, and our days in an attempt to protect what we love from whatever threatens it. The effort is in vain. However, because children die, people lose their jobs, families disintegrate, houses burn down, friends move away, stock markets crash. We waste life by worrying about things we can't control and are fearing things we can't avoid. The Bible calls this striving after the wind, Ecclesiastes 2.17. In the end, it is folly, the opposite of wisdom. 
Solomon, he goes on and he says it like this, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 and 2. This too I carefully explored, Solomon says, even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everybody, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. And Solomon's totally right, except for one significant difference that Solomon, as he sought after these things, he missed, and that is this. God cares for those who love him in a special and unique way. In theological terms, it's actually something, depending on your theological background, we would call common grace uh, or general grace. And the basic concept here is this. God takes care of all people because all people are his creation. So he sends rain on both the worthy and the unworthy. When tornadoes and earthquakes come, they hurt both the godly and the ungodly. And so there's this general thing. When, judge, when God uses various things to judge a town or the world, it happens to all of us. And when God blesses, it happens to all of us. And those things both come from the hand of the Lord. So to some extent, Solomon is recognizing this pattern and saying, look, sometimes the smartest people are dirt poor. And some of you are going, uh-huh. And sometimes the people who aren't very well educated, they're the richest. Uh-huh. It's not always fair. Sometimes the best athlete doesn't win. Right, Peyton? Sometimes, that was cold. That was Sometimes it doesn't work out the way it should. And Solomon's depressed about that. He thinks it's not fair. God isn't into fair. You know what God is into? Worship. And he's concerned with your heart. But there's this little thing Solomon's missing. And it has to do with perspective. Let me show it to you. First, I want to read you this quote by Dr. Ed Welch. i get ahead of myself. He says this. Worry, therefore, is not simply an emotion that erodes our quality of life or a pain to be alleviated. It is a misdirected love that should be confessed. Do you hear that? Worry, fear, anxiety is a misdirected love that should be confessed. It is trying to manage our world apart from God. It is making life about our needs, desires, and wants. Find anxiety about finances and you'll find sin. It's as simple as that. New study just came out confirming what has been said for years in America. Still the number one cause, if not the number two, it's right up there, of divorce in America is financial struggle. Because nothing will reveal tension in a marriage more than financial struggle. Some of you are here today because of that. You feel it. Because the bills start piling up, things come in, and you had dreams and hopes and things that aren't being fulfilled, and you don't agree on what to do next. You want what you want, and they want what they want, and you aren't on the same page. You are not acting as one. You're acting as individuals. I know married couples today who have separate bank accounts, and it is ruining their marriage as one has the secret life, racking up debt and things that don't fulfill. Find a place where you're stressed about money. You'll find worship. You find worship is not about God. You find sin, and if we don't stop and confess it, it will Ruin us, just like it is the church in Laodicea where we left off last week. So what's the answer to all this? Well, thank God there is an answer. Jesus goes on, he says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching, not me, he's not talking about me, he's talking about himself. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. 
The illustration Jesus is using there is this. He says, look, if you build your house upon sand, what happens is the rain comes, the waters rise, and the foundation gets taken out from you, and the house will come crumbling down. And everybody's going to mock you and go, you're an idiot. Who builds their house on sand? But if you build your house on me, Jesus is saying, I'm like a solid rock foundation. So the rain can come pouring down, the waters can rise, and it's not going to do anything to you. See, you can lose your bank account. You can lose your trust fund. You can lose your retirement. You can lose your job. You can lose your spouse. You can lose a child. You can lose any number of things, but it won't really make a difference in the end because you had Jesus. And when everything gets shaken, and it does, your faith won't be shaken. And your faith will be in the one thing that is trustworthy and true, God. So if you back up just a chapter, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus goes on and he says this, no one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus in this passage is drawing a fork in the road. He's saying, okay, you're going to have to choose. It's going to be me or it. Me or it. I'm not going to play the middle here. This is the church in the see we talked about last week. You can't play the middle. The middle doesn't work. The middle is uselessness to me. You got to pick me or it. And if you pick me, I'm going to revolutionize the way you look at the world. And here's where Jesus would start, verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food in your body, more than clothing? <laughs> Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus is going to ask some questions in this passage that I really don't like, and I really don't like this about Jesus. I'm just going to be honest. He asks me those questions that if I honestly answer them, they probe deeper than the surface where I want to keep Jesus sometimes. I don't like it when Jesus looks down deeper and he asks me questions like, Matt, can all of your worrying add a single moment to your life? I don't like that question. I don't like it for us as a church. I like to worry because if I can worry, then I can be in control. See, God, I can stress out, and I can work till midnight, and I can work till one, and I can work till two, because I have to take care of it. There's a point, by the way, for all of us, your kids don't get fed if you don't feed them. You don't actually have money in your bank account to pay for your bills if you don't get a job and pay for them. I mean, there's a point where you do have to do something. But the point at where you are no longer partnering with God, working with God, allowing God to work through you to get things done, and it's now you, 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 you've pushed God off so that you can take care of your agenda, and now you're freaking out about it, and you're spending all night worrying about it, and you're not sure how it's going to work out. God, this isn't going to add up, and you're in control. you got a heart problem. you got a worship problem because you got a fear problem. And Jesus is trying to pause his listeners, and he's trying to say, would you just slow down for just a second? Take, just slow down. Look at those flowers. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm not into horticulture. I don't even know if I'm saying the right word. I think that's the right word. I'm not into plants and trees. I love to look at them. I don't know anything about them, and I'm horrible at them, and I kill everything that comes my way. But, man, yesterday I went to the park in Danville with my boys, and we're walking around. There's, like, these beautiful white flowers and yellow flowers and these little purple, long, skinny things, and and I'm trying to get their attention. I'm like, hey, look at that cool flower. And they're like, yeah, let's go throw rocks in the water. I'm like, no, 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 we'll get to the water. Look at these flowers. Like, yeah, 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 they're flowers. They're colorful. Great, we could draw them at home. I'm like, no, you can't. Look at the detail on this. I mean, look at how this one's different than that one. Look at the colors here and the bright, vibrant. This one's dying, and it's still beautiful because it's just changing color into something else. And 
I'm trying to explain this whole thing to my boys. And this is what Jesus is doing with his listeners. Just look at those flowers. Look at the plethora of them. And all of their beauty and all of their majesty, they are more beautiful than Solomon. And all of his money and all of his glory. And everybody in Israel knew exactly what Jesus is talking about. He'd accumulated more power, more wealth, more prosperity for Israel than anybody had ever done. And he's saying to them, and you thought Solomon had it. He got nothing on a flower in a field. And if he cares about them, how much more are you? I mean, a flower is just a flower. It's just something that the master artist put out there for you to look at and go, wow, God is good. But you, see, he actually knows every hair on your head. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Now, some of you are making it easier on him. (laughs) But there's an intimacy there. He loves you. Look at these flowers, or look at these birds flying around, guys. And they don't even stress. They're not running around, getting a job, making money, and storing it up for the future. They don't know when the rain's going to come and the worms are going to raise to the surface. They don't know how it's all going to work, but they know that their Father in heaven, who is over everything, is going to take care of it. And you're like, come on, do birds really know that? Well, Jesus says, if you didn't cry out in praise to him, that the rocks and the trees would cry out. In other words, all of creation knows who its creator is, but we've missed it. We've blamed it on evolution. We've blamed it on a big bang. It's a random series of chance. Surely if we search the universe long enough, we might just find life elsewhere. Guess what? If we did, great, but guess who created it? And he's taking care of them too. And that's the whole point. He's sovereign and he loves you. So quit stressing out. I didn't say quit working. I didn't say lay around and be lazy and do nothing and say, well, God, you said you'd take care of me. I said quit worrying. And Jesus goes on, Matthew chapter 6, pick up at verse 28. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And then he asks another one of those annoying questions. Stop it, Jesus. Why do you have so little faith? That one question right there may be the crux of it all. Let's be honest for just a moment. Don't you struggle with letting God be God? And come on, let me just start. Hi, my name is Matt Nickerson, and I struggle with letting God be God. And it's not about wanting to be God of the universe because I don't. I don't need to watch Evan Almighty or any of the Bruce Almighty to know. I don't want that authority. This has more to do with I, I, I really distrust me. Even though I have failed my family, myself, even my church, I've confessed at times before, I just trust me. And so I struggle with trusting God. But the real crux of the matter is it's a faith issue. It's a heart issue. I'm afraid to relinquish control. I'm afraid to put God sovereignly over everything. And God's goal for my life is to crucify anything in me that would get in the way of him being God. In fact, I believe it's in Luke 14. Jesus actually goes on and he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Keep crucifying yourselves. Let me be God And you just follow me. So the question remains, why do you have so little faith? See, even as I sit here, stand here preaching this sermon, many of you hearing this, you're going, I know that's true for other people. I know I've heard stories about how God has come through. I know that he's provided. I know he is sovereign. But me, I got a da-da-da-da-da. And your spouse has been telling you, slow down. 
And you see your kids are stressed, but you don't know how to change it. And you know you're caught in the wheel and it's just spinning. You know you're chasing something, but you can't get your hand on it. And you know all these things are true, but you don't realize that the real problem is a faith issue in your heart. You're afraid of missing. You're afraid of losing. You're afraid of not having. You're afraid of not experiencing. You're afraid of not measuring up. You're afraid of something. And until you can locate that fear and crucify it with Christ, you're going to constantly battle for who's God in your life. And I don't want that for you. That's why I do encourage you to pick up this book and read the first three chapters in the introduction by next Sunday. We'll just keep talking about what do we do about this. The good news is Jesus does give us some answer. It's a principle. It's a beginning. He doesn't give us all the answers today. All we're going to look at is one. Look at the next thing he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of believers. Oh, wait, no, he didn't say that. He said unbelievers, meaning believers are supposed to be past this. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Notice he didn't say there he knows all your wants. I got a laundry list of wants. Every birthday, every Christmas, family started asking, what do you want? And half the time I'm like, I don't know. But then if I sit down and think about it, it's not hard. I come up with a laundry list real quick. And God never promises he's going to give you all your wants. So right now, if you're frustrated at God, if you're frustrated at life, you feel like somehow life has failed you because you went and worked hard and you got a job and you got an education and it's not paying out and you're bitter about that because you're pointing a finger at somebody and most likely it's God. And the problem is your heart believes that God needs to give you what you believe you've earned instead of giving you what you need, which is what he promised you. That's the thing that Solomon was missing. Solomon was missing this faith that said that God's going to take care of it. I don't need to experience and have the world. I just need to have him today. And so Jesus finally gives us this piece of advice. What do we do? Verse 33. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Let me just say that again. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he's going to give you everything you need do you know part of the way god gives everything we need is he gives it through the hands of other people i have a phrase i use and you hear me say it a lot that is this we are blessed to be a blessing I actually picked that up from my mentor, Alan Algram, from my last church. He was my pastor for 10 years, and he used to say that all the time. It would get annoying. You could predict when he was going to say it and how he was going to say it and the intonation because he'd say it so often. But you hear somebody you respect say something enough, it sticks in your heart, and he's so right. We are blessed to be a blessing. And part of the way God has planned to care for the needs of other people in the world is through us. In fact, through this series, we'll talk more and more about this. We're going to do this. I'm really excited about this. Today, I just want you to hear me say, I'm planting a seed, I'm priming the pump, we'll tell you more as we go, so just dig in for a second. Part of the way God says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, plan to be righteous on this world, is to realize everything you have comes from God and for God's purposes and not your purposes. And until you get that little nugget of truth, your whole life will be ruined by money. It just will. So here's what we're gonna do. On September the 13th and on the 20th, uh, we're gonna have two collection times. We're going to be literally putting a semi-trailer in the parking lot for you to bring stuff that has value that we're going to sell. Here's why. Here's where it's going. Christie's Auction has agreed to take all the stuff from these churches that are in on this together. 
that there are going to be, we hope, 10 churches. Um, we may be the only one. We don't know. There'll be at least a few others. We're trying to raise $250,000. Christie's Auction has agreed to label everything that comes in from these churches with 316. And then whatever gets bought at their auction with that number 316 on it goes immediately to City View Church. The City View Church is a church we partnered with three years ago through our, um, uh, I forget what we called it, oh, Operation Give Life. If you were here for that, we literally, I think that was when we took our, that was when we took our Easter offering. We gave it all back to you the next week or at the, and, and put it all in envelopes. And then we said, okay, now go multiply it, bring it back. And then we just had fun. It was like Christmas in July. I mean, it was gave money out to all kinds of people. City View was one of those. And we went in, sent some people in too, and literally rebuilt this area. City View, there's two City Views. There's one in Avon, a friend of mine named Scott is the pastor there. They just went into the old Christian bookstore. Man, God's doing great things since they went in there, grown over a hundred. That's not the City View. This is a different City View. This City View is downtown in a really rough area. And they own a house downtown and their goal is to renovate the second level of this house and to turn it into a place for single mothers to come in and turn their lives around and so what we're going to do is partner with these other churches raise the two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we're going to help renovate the stuff there's basically three phases to this so phase one is we're going to bring in our stuff it has to have value okay it can't be like hey i got a pair of pants with a hole in it anybody want it no it has to be something somebody would actually want to buy at an auction and we'll wrestle with that. We'll get you some information about that. You just need to be praying about it. And we're going to bring it all in here. They're going to take it down. They're going to sell it. And the money's going to go to them. The $250,000 is going to renovate it. It's also going to pay for staff to come alongside these single mothers. The goal is they'll live in there for roughly 18 months. It'll provide for all their housing, all their food. It'll give them a safe place to get off the streets. This is located in one of the rougher parts of Indianapolis. Actually located in one of the rougher parts in the United States. And our goal is basically every, team, every 18 months to keep rotating single moms through there and to keep caring for them as we train them up on how to go into the world and get a job and care for their family and now raise their family in a God-honoring, Christ-honoring way. I'm pretty stoked about that. Phase two, we're going to try to get 50 to 70 people together to go down there and actually help with the physical labor. And then phase three, we'll need roughly 10 to 20 people who would commit to going down and coaching and teaching these single moms on an ongoing basis. And as I'm just throwing this out there to start, I just need you to start praying and seeking the Lord. When Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously here on the earth, what he's laying is a foundation that we're going to stand on throughout this series where he's saying this world is not just about you. And until you stop worrying about you and you start worrying about God, when you start worrying about God, he says, great, now I can use you. I can position you. I can put you in the right place at the right time to accomplish my purposes. And so here's the last thing I want to say. The way that we begin this process of not being the church of Laodicea, but being the church that God has called us to be, is we replace fear with faith. I want you to say that with me. Replace fear with faith. Say that one more time. Replace fear with faith. That's step one. So we've got to stop fearing money and whether we're going to have enough, whether we're going to measure up, we've got to start doing all that. And then we've got to move into replacing it with something else. You can't just take something away You'll also have to praise God for his promise to provide. Praise God for his promise to provide. We're going to say that. Ready? Praise God for his promise to provide. One more time. Praise God for his promise to provide. Now, we can say all of this together at the same time. Replace fear with faith. Not that. Replace fear with faith and praise God for his promise to provide. You ready? On three. One, two, three. Three, replace fear with faith and praise God for his promise to provide. Now, I want to show this to you. I'm not just making this up. This is in the Bible. 
This guy named David, you've heard me talk about, Solomon's daddy. Man, David had so many faults and failures, but one thing he got was realizing where all of his power, all of his resources, all of his wisdom, all of his authority, everything he had came from God. He calls the entire nation of Israel together, and they have a big old fat worship service for God, sacrifices and all these things. And before all of this is happening, David prays this prayer. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this to you. And when I'm done reading it to you, I'm just going to go right into a prayer myself. And at the end of that prayer, I'm going to say, let's all stand and sing. While I'm praying, the band is coming out. They're going to be prepped. And we're going to practice what David calls us to do. We're going to just start praising God from a heart that says we realize everything we have is from you. God, we're going to be singing along with these cicadas and crickets in the room, crying out your name. And we're just going to thank God for all that he's done in our lives. And let me just say this. I know there are two baptisms scheduled today. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you're ready to dethrone whatever God is on your heart that's not him, make today the day because you don't know how many days you have left. And if you're ready to do that, you go to my left, under this screen, you're right, and just talk to our staff say, today's the day I'm ready. All right, let's read. First Chronicles 29, verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. Oh, Lord, our God, even this material we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. And then David said to the whole assembly, Give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and they knelt before the Lord and the King. Oh, great God above, we bow before you now in our hearts. And we realize that all wisdom, all power, all honor, all might, all strength comes from you. And God, we don't understand why, like Solomon, we don't understand sometimes why People who aren't working as hard as us or don't have the, the experiences we have, why they get to succeed, and sometimes we don't, but God, we trust you are sovereign. You are in control of all things. You're the one running all things. Everything comes for, from you and is for you. And God, would you give us an attitude of gratitude? Father, realizing that we truly are your servants, 
blessed to be a blessing, tasked with a call and a ministry on this earth. Change our hearts from being focused on fear of loss or fear of not measuring up or fear of not experiencing or fear of not being good enough or fear of not making somebody else proud or fear of whatever it is, God. Strip us of those fears and God, help us to rely solely and totally on you that God, nothing, I mean nothing, would come between us. God, if there's anything in our hearts, anything in our lives right now that we are trusting in besides you, God, right now, right now, we lay it down. We give it to you. Take it from us, Father, that on that last day, you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now let me put you in charge of many. Oh, God, we want to hear those words. Give us wisdom, Lord. And give us faith that we might know what to do and trust you to lead us in it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.